The presenting sponsor for On Education is Schoology. Every day, millions of students, parents, faculty, and administrators from more than 1,600 school districts leverage Schoology to advance what is possible in education. The team at Schoology is passionate about making its users successful, and they know sometimes you might need a little help to achieve your desired outcomes. To help districts find their way to success, Schoology has created Schoology Compass, a set of self-service resources and tools to support school and district leaders in their journey to success. Compass is made up of five district success routes. Each one is designed to advance what is possible at your district. To learn more about Schoology Compass, simply visit Schoology.com. Smart people talking about smart things. Welcome to On Education. I'm Mike Washburn. And I'm Glenn Irvin. Friends, we have an awesome pod for you today. We're going to discuss Quizlet entering the digital content space, Computer Science Education Week, and whether we should be concerned about the amount of screen time our students are getting. Our amazing guest this week is Lori Jackson, co-founder of the Connections Model. You're at Ties. I am. I'm at the Ties Conference. I just got here yesterday morning, really, really early morning. Um, and then, like I was just describing to you, I'm actually inside of one of the presenting rooms because I was trying to find uh-huh. a quiet space uh, to be able to record. And I actually am underneath a table, <laughs> you know, the presenting table, <laughs> <laughs> trying to uh, muffle out as Hi. much noise as possible, you know? You, and, you sound amazing. You, yeah, you, should, you, to, you keep telling like me that. Table. Exactly. I, gotta, I need this table, including You're going to bring the table and the tablecloth home with yes. you. Yeah, it's actually a really cool that idea. The only problem is, is that, like I just told you, we just had an incident here. Um, the, the tech people that uh, manage the hotel rooms here for the conference, one of them came into the room <laughs> And they didn't know I was underneath the table. And, and then I pop out from underneath the table and just scared her to death. She was like, oh who is God. this crazy guy just sleeping under and, the tables? And in then the my response room. was epic because you're listening to it because the microphone's on. And I'm like, <laughs> I'm just recording a podcast. <laughs> totally makes sense. I'm underneath the table. <laughs> sure, you're recording yeah, a podcast. You're like, that's strange. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yes. So that was a good one. Oh, man. So we're doing two or three. How many episodes are we going to do related gonna, to ties? Three? I was thinking three two? episodes. We're going to uh, one's going to come out today, which today is Sunday. Well, at least it'll be put together. We'll, we'll push it out as soon as we can. And yep. then a couple of other ones. I'm going to uh, I'm pretty sure we're going to have, um, you know, making probably within 20 to 30 minutes once, you know, yeah. so there'll be shorter ones with uh five to 10 minute interviews of various different people. Easy listening folks. Yeah. Easy listening. Really good. uh, Just amazing people here and, and what they pack into a little five minute interview is really interesting and, and then compelling uh, to give the information to kind of follow up. If if you're interested in learning more. Smart people talking about smart things. Yes. Here on, on education. (laughs) Sounds like a advertisement. That that does sound like our ad. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, are you are you how much Christmas shopping have you done? Um, we've done uh, our kids. We will made, you will you go yeah. Christmas shopping in Minneapolis while you're there? No, probably not. No. I'll just I. That's a good it's idea, though. Um, it is. Yes, it is a really good idea. But no, I, ha- I have some ideas of what we're going to purchase for our uh, our kids and cool. something I have in mind for my wife. And then usually for the family, we buy um, like calendars that have, you know, our kids and people's birthdays on them. You know, kind of those calendars. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. There so then go. we give them out and they have pictures of, you know, each month is a different picture of our kids and our family and then kind of pictures with them and our kids. Um, nice. So so that's that's a good, I think that's a great gift. and. You know, my uh, my wife already has her Christmas present. Does she? Wow. Yeah. What was it? She got tickets to we're going to the Mumford and Sons concert. Oh, that's awesome. When is that coming? Uh, Next weekend. Not next weekend. The next weekend. Next month. Two two Mondays from now. So very exciting. 
Yeah. Very expensive tickets. Ooh. <laughs> so I don't think we got like backstage passes, but we got like special area passes and all this other nonsense. They nice. were not cheap. Hey. But very exciting. Very experiences. We're, we're We've seen Mumford and Sons once before. Yeah. Um, so we're Big excited fans. to go again. I think I'm getting an Apple Watch for Christmas. Oh, hey. Which is you love those exciting. things. Remember you, you called them, what did you say? I think on the previous episode, you called the Apple Watch sexy as hell. <laughs> sexy as hell. And now my wrist will be sexy as hell. Now you're going to be like, oh. so, so I've been watching a lot of Christmas stuff. Yeah. Last last night I watched a, a play that was on TV of the it was like a remixed Christmas carol where um the ghost was um a guy named Marley and he had a Jamaican accent. Oh no way. It was really weird. That sounds horrible. Uh, <laughs> well, it was okay. Cheryl liked it. Oh, okay. That's all that matters. Happy wife, happy life, buddy. Absolutely. But it got me it got it got us thinking. We were talking uh and about our favorite christmas movies yes what's your what's your favorite christmas movie glenn i'm my, i'm genuinely curious okay my i don't like a lot of christmas movies uh me neither but maybe i'm yeah maybe i'm a grinch um but i don't i don't even like the grinch either so i'm really grinchy <laughs> um i would say my favorite by far and the one that we watch every single year and our kids love it too is Will Ferrell's Elf. It's just so funny oh. and just hilarious. Yeah. And it just never gets old either. I, I just watch it and I'm just cracking up. Just all the different lines that are included as part of the movie. Uh, classic. That's a good movie. Yes. Isn't that the one where he eats spaghetti uh, with yeah. uh, maple syrup? Maple syrup and candy in it. And oh my God. That guy is uh, what an actor just so so hilarious am i allowed to say die hard uh yeah that it's during the christmas season (laughs) as your favorite that's your favorite holiday movie that's awesome (laughs) it's on it's on every year at christmas time totally it takes place during christmas so then it's then it's a christmas movie (laughs) die hard <laughs> die Hard. I don't. I. I can't say Die Hard is my favorite Christmas movie. I don't even know if I really have a favorite Christmas movie. To be perfectly honest, I mean, I like watching Die Hard. I'll watch Die Hard anytime. Sure. Um, and uh, the one that you just said, what was it, Elf or whatever it's called? Yes. That that movie's pretty funny. I, I don't mind that. But uh, the new Grinches are pretty good. Like the one with what was the one Jim Carrey. Yes. From about what about fifteen years ago? Yeah. That one's that one's not too bad. It's tolerable. Did, it, did it, a new one just come out too? That I thought received horrible yeah, ratings. Literally, right? like just came out. Yeah. Um, and then I guess what's the movie? Is it? It's a Wonderful Life. Yes, the old That's classic. That's the one with the bank, right? Yes. That's the one where the guy is uh, the banker, the businessman, George Bailey. Yeah. Yes, I like that movie. Okay. That movie makes me happy. That's a classic movie. Yes. So there's a there's a classic Christmas movie. It's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful I've life. Enjoyed that the few times I've I've watched it. It is indeed a wonderful life. I'm my life is pretty darn good. Hey, me too. <laughs> hey, so so this is the end of computer science education week, uh, yes. and I tell you, this is like our Twitter feeds in particular. I don't know about yours, but mine was just bonkers this week. Uh, with like just people sharing like crazy. I mean, we live in this world, right? Yes. So uh, there's there's lots going on all over the world, schools and people doing things for the first time. I, I mean, I work for an educational technology company now, so we're getting tagged in 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 like classroom Twitter feeds where people are using dash and dots and m bots and i had a couple people using the drone the the make block uh drone very cool uh you know so like lots of cool it was weird not being a teacher um and for the first time yeah. in, in a long time um during computers because i've always done like an hour of code i've always 
you know, showed the movies, showed the cool videos they make with, you know, Chris Bosh and all those other videos that they've done yeah. with Obama and oh, Obama. Anyways, uh, <laughs> showed all those. <laughs> Donald Trump didn't do anything for computer science education week. I can tell you uh, that. Of course not. Yes. Except go on Twitter not. and say ridiculous right. things. Exactly. <laughs> so it was weird. What do you guys do stuff at the high school? Yes, um, it's it's pretty big too. I mean, as far as uh, hour of code and really trying yeah. to push that so that it goes beyond this this week, and that's what really what I think people do a really good job promoting is saying, "Hey, we need to uh, push this beyond just this one week." It's something that kids need to be exposed to, uh, and and not even just the coding itself, but all of computer science type of skills, like the stuff that you you were teaching in your class. Uh, design yeah. and uh, iteration and all those kinds of things, which are fantastic. Nice. Yeah. yeah I I've always enjoyed the hour of code. So uh, it was anyways, it was really great to see, um, to see uh, all the stuff going on and, uh, and, and people sharing what they were doing and some teachers who were doing things for the first time. So lots and lots going on. Uh, speaking of lots going on, this this is a really interesting move. I mean, we talk a lot about ed tech companies and yes. you know businesses and like all of these folks trying to figure out ways to make money because it's hard to make money at you know almost anything. Yeah. Uh, but Qu- Quizlet is a pretty big name, big right? Time name. Like yes, in the formative assessment kind of um, space and. Games, digital uh, games, kind of things. You have vocab, right? uh, flashcard, kind of uh, space. You know, so they are opening up a marketplace uh, for, you know, I guess textbook publishers. Yes, um, mainly, or and I, I guess other education publishers. It's not just the big ones, even though the big ones, I looks like are involved in this yes like penguin random house oxford university press pearson pearson yep. um right so th- the big ones are in there but you got these other folks that do you know second language learning bat bablet whatever bablet is yes um so so i mean this is a big deal i guess right yeah so what they've done is basically if you're familiar with quizlet uh you understand that you as a teacher and your students, basically, anybody, can create these things called sets. They're Quizlet sets. And they basically are a set of vocab. Uh, and it can be even include images on them and uh, be as detailed or as not detailed as you want it to be. And basically, you can use the Quizlet app to be able to uh, review vocab in a variety of ways. Some of them uh, have some kind of gamification elements in it. So like uh, review games kind of things. Uh, you can even do Class games, which are Quizlet Live, is a fantastic resource there too. But what they've right. done, this is the part that's the interesting part, is they've opened up a new marketplace for these specific big vendors, uh, you know, people that distribute uh, usually textbook type of materials. And those companies are creating Quizlet sets that you can then purchase. So that's the, the, the part that I was like, the content oh, in the textbook. Exactly. So, for example, if you were uh, studying, I saw some examples of some uh, like super detailed medical books, you know, kind of you were taking a, a very uh, intricate uh, class for pre-med uh, and you were studying the parts of, I think it was like the inner ear or something like sure. that. And it had just all of these components and all of this uh, things that you just have to memorize uh, as medical students. They created those sets and then they sell them for example i think this one of them that i saw was like 10 bucks and another different one was like you know 15 dollars uh and if you want the whole textbook full of units or whatever it might be maybe it would be like you know 50 or 60 dollars you know but much more money right so i was so then immediately i thought what's stopping someone from just not making these because that's what we do right now do you know what i mean i have a spanish book right uh, if I was teaching Spanish and I was like, okay, well, this is my thematic vocab that I'm going to use. So I'm going to create some lists inside of Quizlet, maybe even add some images, blah, 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 uh, if I wanted to. And then I, 
I share it with my students, but I never purchase anything. Do you understand what I mean, Mike? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and there's a great quote in here from this guy, Adam Bellow, who is the founder, one of the founders of Breakout EDU. And he said, collecting a lot of resources is easy. Collecting good resources is hard. Getting people to know that good resources exist and then pay for them is the hardest thing. Yes, And I mean, that's what we've been saying, right? Is that there's a difference between what, um, you know, sharing things. Yes. And, and and just giving them to people. But these are businesses and businesses need to pay employees so that employees can feed their families. And, you know, that costs money. And so if you're expecting awesome resources that are professionally designed by professionals, the professionals need to get paid to design them. Yeah. And that means you have to charge teachers to use them. And when teachers don't have money or a budget, and have to pay out of pocket, it makes it really difficult. Big time. This is this is like that was literally like monetization of education in 30 seconds. Yes. <laughs> right? No, exactly. Um, so I was thinking too, Mike, I mean, uh, as far as there was a response from I believe the person from Babel, and she just was interested in what our take was gonna be. Um, but I think the target is actually the students. Didn't it seem like that to you? Like it's not really meant for a teacher to do that and then distribute it to their students is more like you as a college student, for example, you would go in there and you're like, okay, this is associated with my book. Uh, it's kind of like purchasing a textbook, you know, and that, that kind of a thing. Which I mean, might be possible, right? But yeah. Do we really think that kids are going to take the initiative to go seeking out this kind of resource? That, and, that'd and, be interesting. And pay $60 for a, you know, a study set, a study guide. I'm like, sure. uh, I mean, there will be kids that do that. It's, oh, yeah. it's, it's about quantity that we're talking about. I mean, yeah, yeah. Little <clears throat> enough of them do that. I, I mean, I don't see that happening at all. Um, I definitely see teachers. I mean, text like it or not textbooks are everywhere. Oh yeah. Right. And so, you know, Pearson, has a vested interest in producing a brand new textbook that has, hey, we have really cool assessment and games-based learning content in Quizlet that we've made for you that is the same quality you know and love from your Pearson textbook. And now when you buy your Pearson textbook, you can get a whatever price for this additional set of resources that your kids will love. I mean, that's the pitch. Yes. That I mean That was would, a good pitch, would, by the way. <laughs> you did see? a good job selling it. Yes, exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, and so that's the way you do it for sure. You you say, We're making this content. It's not made by teachers, it's not of dubious quality potentially. It's made by us. And if you like the textbook, you're gonna love this stuff. Yes. Kind of thing. And and so Give us 60 bucks. You get all of this really cool assessment. And now we've given you even more things that you don't have to spend the time doing yourself. Absolutely. You're right on point there. I mean, as long as they have money. But you'll get more people with that pitch than trying to sell this directly to kids. That's what I thought, too. So, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I mean, Quizlet's a big name obviously. oh my god they had they said they have 300 million active users wow that's ridiculous you know i mean they have customers you know <laughs> right that there's a reference in this article to your favorite your favorite online teacher market teachers pay teachers <laughs> <laughs> so that's fun. It's still paying for my World of Warcraft subscription. So, oh my goodness, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Uh, so, anyways, we're going to link this article in the show notes. It's interesting. I, I, I'd love to know what people's take is on it. I, I, I just I worry when you know money is tight. Yes. But I also get you know their Quizlet has probably a hundred or more people working for them. And oh, yeah. these people have families and bills to pay. And so you got to, you know, you know, class dojo and Edmodo and 
Quizlet and Classcraft and, you know, you name it. These guys got to put food on the table. And you can't do that by giving stuff away for free, Glenn. Oh, that's too bad. <laughs> you can't do that by giving stuff away for free. So, I mean, I wish them all the best. I Listen, if you're going to be using textbooks still, at least this gives you, you know, some better, more meaningful, engaging content than just the textbook. So if if a textbook is all you got, at least maybe this will improve that that delivery, that content a little bit more. Right. And yes. There's a silver, there's a silver lining to this for the for the teachers that hate textbooks and everything about them. Yes. <laughs> so when we come back, we're going to talk about screen time and whether our students are getting too much of it or not. On Education is brought to you by Classcraft. Classcraft is an amazing teaching resource created by teachers. Classcraft is dedicated to making school relevant and engaging to all of our students. Classcraft is proud to announce their Questathon quests created with shared storylines and custom illustrations to bring any subject to life. Every time a teacher downloads one of the free quests, Classcraft will add $1 to the Teachers Are Professionals fund, which will be used to fund teacher requests to PledgeSense.com. To learn more about Classcraft, simply go to Classcraft.com. All right, welcome back to the podcast. Cool article. Well, maybe not a cool article. Anyways, an article on EdSurge a couple days ago. uh, How much screen time is too much for kids? I I mean, listen, I get this question all the time. You would have gotten it too. Yes. So, Glenn, Mr. Irvin, Uh my child, comes to your classroom. She plays Minecraft in your classroom. Yes. (laughs) And then she goes home, Mr. Irvin. And all that she wants to do is play Minecraft. Now, not only that, Mr. Irvin, (laughs) but she has to look on Google Classroom for all of her assignments. She has to read the PDF that Mr. Jones posted in his Google Classroom. And then she has to do five minutes of keyboarding practice, Mr. Irvin. And then (laughs) Mrs. Smith also posted a uh, a math review on her Google Classroom. My daughter spent hours in your classroom and other teachers' classrooms during the school day, Mr. Irvin, <laughs> and then went home and spent more time on screens doing her homework. What are your thoughts on <laughs> how much screen time my daughter is receiving mr irvin that's a it's a really good question um though i don't though i think the scare of it is directed at the wrong things so if we're talking about that you are using a one-to-one device during the school day which our students are a lot of our students are um, and they are obviously have a screen a humbad device and it would be considered screen time, I guess, but it would be considered educational screen time versus recreational uh, screen time. Um, mm-hmm. And so I would, I mean, I would talk to them about that. I totally get what you're saying. And uh, I, I guess the part that I would talk to them more about is that we need to try to make an effort to not invade uh, home time as much. Do you know what I mean? Like, I really do agree with people that are saying, hey, you know, our kids have a limited amount of time at home. Like, you you know this, where we run and run all day and then our kids, you know, we might get home at four o'clock at the earliest at our house, you know, all together. And you spend between four and eight o'clock and and that's your family time. You know, eight o'clock, we start getting ready for bed and those kinds of things. But then between that four and eight o'clock, you have to eat dinner and you have to go to like take your kids to karate or my kids to swimming practice or whatever it might be. So even cut more of that time out and then you really only have maybe an hour or two, you know, of kind of non or unstructured time. And then if you cut into that time with more, what I would consider to be what prototypically called homework, it's, it's frustrating 
you know, as a parent and as an educator, you know, saying they already have been at school all of this time, you know, do they really need to do that? And then some kids don't have the opportunity to do any of that work anyway at home. And we know that. Um, and it all right. depends upon uh, totally of, of how, if your parents are even home, uh, if you have to go to work as a kid, like we, I don't know if you did, but I had to go to work when I was, you know, 15, I already started working after school every single yeah. day because yep. you had yep. to, it wasn't like, so that I could buy my cell phone. Of course they didn't exist then, you know, <laughs> but it was yeah. so that I could help pay bills and, and make sure that, you know, whatever it might be that we needed as a family. Um, and, and so you have to I worked at the, Domino's and bought a disc man. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Like you actually are doing that. And, and this time is not, you know, obviously you're not going to be able to do those things at home anyway. No. So I, I think, no. I know that's, I, I twisted the, the argument here or the article, uh, but it actually does describe in the article, several of these experts, uh, and I don't know they're experts, but they're just educational gurus. I would call them, um, do say that there's a big difference between recre recreational and educational uh, screen time. It matters what you're doing on the screen. A hundred percent. Big time. Like if you're just like, like this article says, and I totally agree. If you're just using it, you know, if your teacher is just giving you digital textbooks and worksheets to read, that's a crappy use of screen time, especially at home. But if you're using your screen time to engage, to problem solve, to um, do really interesting work like Minecraft um, in the classroom and stuff like that, that's a good use of screen time for sure. And it's all about balance. It, you covered it super well. It's about balance. It's about um, knowing when your kid specifically needs to shut it down um, and when it's fine and when to use it as a reward maybe or or even, I guess, to take it away as a potential punishment of some sort. Sure. I mean, it's all about it's all about balance. And. I mean, for for us, for example, so when people ask, because I I'm the I was the computer science teacher. I know I turned the tables and made you answer it as if <laughs> as if you were getting the question. But basically, that's the question. I got that question all the time, constantly. Basically, because kids were coming to my class, and the culture of the school was changing. Yes, dramatically. Big time. Once I got there, you know, we 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 went from being a pen and textbook type school to a, a completely one-to-one -one school. That was what we did in the six years I was there. Uh, every student from grade one to four, three has an iPad at yeah. RHMS and every student from grade four to eight has a laptop. And so they were getting screen time constantly. And all that I did, all that I said when i got asked that question was i related it to me i just told them what i do because i can't i'm and i'm also not in the business of telling parents what to do with their kids exactly you can't control what's happening in other classrooms too you're exactly right no no so i said listen let me tell you what i do my son isaac has a computer it's in the kitchen so i can see what he's doing on it anytime i want to it's right there. He can't use it, you know, at late at night because I'll I would hear him going downstairs if he was trying to sneak it. And he uh, it's that's where it is. It's a, it's a fixed. It's a desktop. My son has an iPod. He uses it, you know, chilling on the couch sometimes when we're on long car drives. And. You know, we go to bed at. He, he has to shut down all of his electronics at 8 o'clock every night. 8 o'clock every night, everything is done. He goes to bed at 8.30. He has a half an hour where he reads. Yeah. Or reads with his mom, which has been happening a lot lately. Um, But for half an hour before bed, no electronics, no screen time at all. That's great. Yes. And we've been doing that for years. And so I just explain what I do. And I say, listen, I'm not telling you how to run your house. I'm saying that we found a good balance for us. And you should think about what is a good balance for you. Exactly. And 
also looking for opportunities to take that screen time and make that meaningful. I let Isaac play a lot of video games. I think video games are valuable, newsflash. <laughs> and so I let we let him, you know, if he's going to use his screen time for anything, playing video games is, in my opinion, an actually a good use of screen time. I'm not as much a fan of him sitting there and just gouging on YouTube for, for three hours. That's not as good a use for me of screen time as him actually playing a game. So, and and we're getting into a rut a little bit with that. So I'm I'm thinking about ways to get him off YouTube and try to get him playing a lot more. Get him but, going, yeah. You know, what what do you do at your house? Well, I mean, it's very similar things that you're just talking about. But number one is we have decided as a family that there's only a specific time that they're going to be. Uh, able to play, for example, their games or watch YouTube or whatever it might be. And it's usually, right. it's on the weekends uh, and it's for a specific set time. And like I've talked about before on a podcast, uh, they usually play with my father-in-law. So on the Xbox, uh, right, right. we connect with them. And then my younger guy, uh, Lynx, plays like Roblox and they do these little running courses and whatever it might be. It's funny yeah. that the thing uh, they get yeah, with, that's you know that's what I'm talking true. about? And then my older son, they play Fortnite, him and my father-in-law, uh, and they play that. And it's only on the weekends. And it's only for a specific amount of time. Mm-hmm. And then so, yeah, you're, you're right. You, you can – you need to limit it, the amount of uh, of things that you want to go in and say, okay, and say, hey, you know, we're all going to move away from our screens and, you know, not be obsessed with them. And that goes for us too. I think, you know, me and you and and, and I, I talk to my wife about this all the time is, you know, we need to set our stuff down and then kind of move away from it too so that we show them, you know, we actually are, are walking the walk too. I want to play more board games. Yeah. Board games, I really do. Games. Like, I'm, I'm really interested in it. I, I think Isaac's getting old enough that he might be able to follow along with some of these more complex board games. Like, I don't. I, sorry, I don't want to play Kids Monopoly with my kids. No, no. It no does, you, I don't know if that makes me a bad person. You, but it just. I think it does. No, I'm just. <laughs> no, like, I know what you mean. Just, you want to play like, uh, yeah, what's that game, Carcassonne, that you were talking about before? Anything, Catan, yes. uh, Catan, right? Yep, Monopoly, whatever. My Cheryl doesn't like Monopoly, but we love, we all love Catan. Yes, uh, and and um and I'm wanting to really badly build up a bit of a collection of really cool board games. I I want to play board games with my family. I really do. So I, I'm gonna I'm thinking about in 2019 how I'm gonna carve out time to do that. Very instead cool. Instead of instead of us all being on you know, our, our things, our devices, whatever. I mean, I, geez, I got an iPad. I got, I'm going to, you know, by next week, I'll have two laptops. I'll have a desktop. I have, you got, you know, a brand new iPhone. Yes. What? <laughs> so yes. I got that. I got that iPhone. That, that what is, is it. X XS max. Yeah. Is that a monstrosity? It's big. It's heavy. That's <laughs> what it is. I find it really heavy. That's what I've noticed. Anyways, Back on topic. Cool. Yeah. No. Every everyone's different. I'm not going to tell you what to do. Glenn's not going to tell you what to do. We do things a little bit differently. I, you know, but everyone's different, and you got to find what's best for your family. But use those screen times to be productive in some way. We all agree. Generally speaking, learning is everywhere. There's lots of opportunities to learn. Video games are a great place to learn. A lot of things. Um, I personally believe that video games are a productive use of screen time. Um, so, you know, we're going to link this article and we're not answering any questions. You know, this isn't the no. answer session that maybe you were looking for, but uh, but certainly and it leads to more questions and answers in a lot of cases. Big time. But uh, hopefully, hopefully you'll start to think about how screens are used in your classroom and how screens are used at your home with your kids and uh, find that space that's right for you. Does that seem to make sense, Glenn? That was a perfect ending to the segment. I loved it. 
Should have ended it ten seconds ago. <laughs> when we come back, we'll talk to <laughs> we'll talk to uh, Lori Jackson. Stay tuned. On Education is brought to you by Audible. So I got to tell you about this book. So I'm reading a book called You Can't Spell America Without Me. It's written by Alec Baldwin, um, and it's and it's in Trump's vernacular, like it's in his voice. Like <laughs> it's written. It's like as if it was written by Donald Trump. Okay. And so I'm reading it, and I'm thinking. Uh, every time I'm reading it, I, I, I'm hearing Donald Trump's voice reading it to me. So I looked up on Audible okay. if it was there, and I'm telling you it's there. Oh so my this is Alec Baldwin in the voice of Donald Trump reading the book, You Can't Spell America Without Me. You've got to listen to this. It is an absolute nightmare of a book. It's hysterical. So all that you guys have to do to listen to You Can't Spell America Without Me is go to audibletrial.com slash oneducation. That's audibletrial.com slash oneducation. And you will get a free audiobook download, which you should totally use for You Can't Spell America Without Me by Alec Baldwin. Read to you by Alec Baldwin (laughs) in the voice of Donald Trump. There's nothing better. So go do that like right now. All right, welcome back to the podcast, everyone. We're thrilled to be joined today by Lori Jackson. Lori is an educational psychologist and the founder of the Connections Model, uh, which is an SEL and education technology company whose Kid Connect app helps students develop emotional regulation. Lori is going to be part of a panel uh, called Insights for Supporting SEL with EdTech at FETC. Uh, welcome to the show, Lori. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So your work, Lori, uh, focuses primarily on social and emotional learning and self-regulation. And I actually think that a lot of people, um, including a lot of educators, don't really even know what we're talking about when we talk about this stuff. So could you give us a bit of a like the Coles notes, the the 101 on SEL and what self-regulation actually means? Yeah, definitely. I agree with you. It's a great question. So the way we look at SEL is we look at it as the big process, right? Where people learn the skills that make them successful people. Mm -hmm. So like positive relationships, good decision-making, and this is, these are really complex processes, right? Like it's a big area. And so then when we look at sort of the significance, the importance of these skills, we've looked at, you know, schools are really trying to figure out how to teach these skills. And that sort of leads us into the way we look at sort of self-regulation, but we really look at it more in terms of emotional regulation. Right. And we say that because emotional regulation, we look at it as like a two-way street. So it's the ability to manage your emotional state, Mm -hmm. but you have to do it in, um, in sort of an interactive way. And so it's monitoring, evaluating, and modifying your reactions to situation, people, in ways that are constructive and adaptive. And so maybe that was a complicated way, but um, we really look at the significance of not just monitoring yourself, but also monitoring yourself in context. And for schools, that's really important because you you don't want to just have kids who can label their emotions, but they really need to understand how those emotions play into their day because Uh, ultimately that's their behavior, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So that actually leads kind of well into this next question. So as a, as a teacher, so I just left the classroom after, after about six years of of teaching computer science. Okay. And as a teacher, it's pretty easy to write off um, poor behavior sometimes as, you know, that's just boys being boys and, I, I used to, I tell you, I used to say that to parents all the time. I, I have a 10 year old myself. I know what that's like. It's okay. I can handle it. Yep. And since we, it, since we tend to deal with so much going on in the classroom, classrooms are crazy. They're fanatic. They're like lots of activity, lots of noise, lots of action. Um, bad behavior sometimes is just, you know, it's just dealt with and moved on. We have strategies, we deal with them, you know, for just getting them to stop doing whatever they're doing in the moment yep. and we move on. Um, yet in a lot of cases, we're learning that sometimes this behavior is a sign uh, that some there there are what are some ways 
teachers can identify the difference between the normal 10-year-old who's just goofing off and a 10-year-old with real social and emotional issues who's using bad behavior as, you know, a way to, you know, over here, I, I actually need help. Um, exactly. So here's how we frame everything. We talk about emotions driving our behavior. And we also look at this whole concept in the same way as, so you were a computer science teacher, is the same yeah. way as we want educators to look at it as they look at their skill areas. So we look at behavior on a continuum. And obviously, it's always telling us something. But as educators, we have to look at behavior and say, okay, what skills are these kids showing us that they don't have? And so if we look at teaching behavior or teaching the the emotional regulation pieces, we look at it as kids who are having really significant behavioral issues are telling us that they are lacking the skills to identify, understand, and manage their emotions. And so on the same way, the kids who were just a little itchy, you know, the well, everybody has that, are, are kids who are, you know, doing okay, but obviously could also use a tune-up. So it's a continuum, but it's the same process, right? It's teaching kids what's behind the behavior. So as educators, we need to take, take a step back and look at what's driving the behavior because it's just a symptom, as you say, of something that is um, more significant. But the way we look at it is that, you know what, the kids who are having the most issues are the ones who are having the hardest time identifying and really managing their emotions and like the true skills of emotional regulation. And we've had a ton of those kids um, sort of come through our ranks since we've been working on this in the past 10 years. And the ones with the most extreme behaviors are the ones who have absolutely no ability, whether they have a disability or not, to really get in touch in every sense with their emotions. Wow. Yeah. In, super. This is super interesting stuff. It, it, it really reframes, you know, the way you think about your kids and, exactly. and how they how they're acting on like a on like a micro level. Yep. You know, because almost every action can, can be spoken to in this way, this SEL in this SEL lens, I guess. Well, um, exactly. And, and I think it's a way to look at kids because one of the things that we have experienced so much with parents and teachers and the kids themselves is the yeah. kids who have behavior issues. There's a lot of shame behind it. You know, there's shame yeah. from the families. There's like, there's this, there's this real negative, um, whole frame around them. And our experience is that when you change that, when you shift that from these aren't bad kids, these are kids who just need more support, identifying and managing and understanding their emotions, it changes the whole way schools mm -hmm. and parents and kids look at themselves. And it's so critical. So that's another reason really for reframing this stuff. Sure. So speaking of reframing, I guess I, I spent a lot of time preparing to speak with you by talking to my wife. Um, uh, she spent a lot of time this summer reading uh, the work of uh, a fellow uh, up here in particular named uh, Stuart Shanker, uh, who's wrote uh, written uh, quite a few books on self-regulation and emotional intelligence. Yep. Uh, and, and she's really spending this year focused on developing her teaching skills with student self-regulation in mind, with teaching them and helping them identify how they're feeling about what they're doing and their actions. Exactly more or less what we're talking about. Um, what type of advice would you give to a teacher who is trying to be in tune with their students uh, and their emotional and social health? So it's great that um, your wife is making that a focus. I think it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And Stuart's work is great, really good stuff. Um, I think the biggest thing is starting out by reframing the way you look at behavior, sort of like we were just talking about. So stepping back and saying, you know what, what drives this behavior? So our mantra, you know, everybody in my house, everybody in my world talks about emotions driving behavior. And so that's really our first focus with teachers is to say, let's take a step back and let's change the way we're looking at behavior. Mm -hmm. And so the other piece is really making emotions sort of more front and center 
and integrated within your classroom, within your day. So in some ways, that's modeling emotions for your students and helping them put those emotions into context. So an example of that is saying, you know, everybody is hurried and frantic some mornings, but giving examples about why either you're frustrated or you're anxious or whatever, and then helping put that anxiety or that emotion into context by tying it to the event that maybe um, drove that emotion. And so that's one way. Another thing is just identifying emotions by name. So much of what we do is we make assumptions that kids know their emotions and can identify and, and differentiate, you know, even the smaller ones. So a big piece is, you know, that differentiation piece between, you know, sad and anxious or sad and depressed. It seems small, but when you're learning how to manage those emotions, that's a big piece. Totally. I I hadn't actually thought about it as, you know, some kids just don't even know the words to say, like in terms of how to frame it. And and I guess maybe this gets actually the segues in this interview are just amazing, Lori. (laughs) Uh, You, you have a, uh, you have an application, your company um, connections model has an application called kid connect. And I think this actually goes towards doing exactly what you're saying, helping kids put words to how they're feeling. Can you tell us a little bit about Kid Connect? Yep. So Kid Connect came about because we had kids, exactly as we're talking about, who couldn't identify their emotions, who were not spending time in the academic classroom because they couldn't, because their behavior was um, so challenging. And we had other kids who just needed a little extra support. And we struggled as educators to find the tool that would really teach them without us having to sort of stop and spend a whole lot of time processing every single time there was an issue. So Kid Connect was born out of necessity um, for, you know, our own students years and years ago. And so basically we developed an app that was framed around cognitive behavioral theory that basically ties event to emotion, to behavior. And so the app is for the student is self-driven. So it's an easy sort of guided route that they're able to use within three or four minutes that helps them in the moment of an issue. So they don't have to leave the classroom once they're in a place where they can, you know, manage. They work through the route. They identify the source or the event, like we talked about before, of the issue. They can connect it to their emotion where we have characters that we had designed that um, help them identify the emotion, connect that to behavior, and then most importantly, pick a strategy for managing that emotion the next time they feel it. And Mm. over time, what happens is they learn the feeling of that emotion and, and they, in essence, reprogram the negative behavior with something more adaptive. So we're not saying to kids, you can't be angry, you can't be frustrated, you can't be anxious. We're just saying, let's find a more adaptive way of managing that emotion. And over time, we have seen some truly amazing results. Um, And teachers aren't then having to spend time sort of analyzing the kids' behavior because we're able to sort of do it in, you know, one process. Awesome. So we're going to put folks, we're going to put the connections model website on our in our show notes. So if you're looking for more information about Kid Connect, you can head there. Uh, So I guess this is this is our last last question. And I I think that um, following, I guess, my wife's lead, uh, when she wanted to find out more and learn more about SEL, what she did was do a lot of reading. And I think this is one of those. There are lots of ways that you can obviously learn new things. But this is one of those things where I think reading um, from smart people writing about this stuff is a good place to learn more about it. Uh, So what books, maybe give us one or two or three books you'd recommend to a teacher who wants to learn more and understand more about SEL and self-regulation? 
So I'm, I I may not um, answer you the right way because I don't know that I'm going to identify a book. Um, I think things are changing so fast in okay. the world of SEL and even the world of emotional behavioral ideas. So I'm going to say that I would direct your readers to, I would send them to the, the castle website, um, which has great information on just the whole concept of social emotional learning. And they're, they're really comprehensive. Um, I would recommend some edutopia, uh, articles within the area. Um, there's a great, uh, researcher named Mark Brackett, who's out of the Yale Center for Emotional Intelligence. Um, we love him because he says a whole lot of the same things that we say. And mm-hmm. so he's written tons of articles mm-hmm. on this area. And so um, because it's it's a fast sort of changing world and books yeah. at this moment aren't integrating all of these pieces of, you know, the brain research and gotcha. SEL and all of those pieces. And so unfortunately, you have to search for articles right now, which um, – or, you know, I mean, it's, they're super helpful. So awesome. I'm going to, I'm going to not give you a book title. <laughs> no, that's okay. Uh, <laughs> awesome. So uh, thanks, uh, Lori, Lori Jackson. Thanks for joining us. Thanks so much for having me. It was fun. Thanks for listening to On Education. My name is Mike Washburn and my co-host is Glenn Irvin. Do you want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at oneducationpodcast.com. You can tweet us at OnEducationPod. Glenn is at Irv Spanish on Twitter. I can be found on Twitter at Mr. Washburn. Our engineers are Jake and Justin at Podcast Production Team. Check out their website at PodcastProductionTeam.com. You can find us on Facebook by visiting Facebook.com slash OnEducationPod. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we'd be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or the Google Play Store. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost, and this helps others discover the show. We want to thank our presenting sponsor, Schoology, for supporting us. Check out Schoology.com to learn how they can help you advance what's possible. Thanks, as always, for listening. Stay awesome. See you soon.